You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I have it on good authority, or well, maybe not good authority, it came from Tom Brown, that you like to dunk your balls in soapy water to try and acclimatize before you come on this podcast. Yeah, I actually, I don't know who asked this question last night to Adam Simpson. It might have, it, it sounded like it might have been Tom Morris. I think he, he sort of asked um, what you do to get used to the dewy conditions in Queensland or um, how do you prepare for that? And, and Simpson kind of just laughed and he said, well, maybe we should be better at it now. But it, it was certainly a talking point last night. It was a bad game of footy. This was the worst game of footy I've watched all season. It was terrible. North Melbourne, uh, I, they had a crack, and Reece Shaw seemed pretty happy with their effort after the game. But, I mean, they couldn't even... It felt like it was actually a rule that North Melbourne could only get rid of the ball if they put a teammate under more pressure than they were when they had the ball. It was unbelievable. And still, West Coast didn't score for the entire first quarter, Yeah, uh, even with that. It was like, you know, so we said this, that, yeah, okay, West Coast has got a marginal chance of finishing top four, but this game realistically doesn't mean a huge amount. And that's how I felt like the Eagles approached it. They they got the win in the end, and they put themselves back into the top four for now. And for now, I think is the biggest qualifier we need to put out there because that could very easily yeah disappear in the next couple of days. But it was not it was not a good game of footy, and I think that's what you expect for a team that's been as bad as North Melbourne and a team like West Coast, who's had their struggles, injured players, and not seemingly giving too much of a shit. Yeah, unfortunately uh, for North Melbourne, because as I said, they did have a, a crack. The skill level just wasn't there. I think the conditions certainly didn't help that. But also just kicking for goal. And again, uh, I know it was slippery, but when you get a set shot and you just get a chance to settle a little bit, they missed a bunch of easy ones. And they before West Coast even had a score on the board, North Melbourne were two goals, five. They missed some easy ones there. They finished four goals, ten. So the same scoring shots, and they just weren't able to capitalize there. But for West Coast, and they admitted this after the game, I mean, certainly Adelaide, probably unlikely to beat Richmond. That would be a, a hell of an upset if, if the Crows pulled off uh, a fourth win in a row against the Tigers, probably the fourth team in the comp. But, you know, I mean, Sydney's been competitive, Josh. I mean, the West Coast admitted it. There'll be Sydney fans on the weekend on Sunday. Um, it, it wasn't a game that they had nothing to play for because if they had have blown this and then Sydney went ahead and beaten Geelong, well, they've just cost themselves a double chance. So I'm not sure why it took them so long to get going. I do feel like teams should be accustomed to the slippery conditions for now, but I don't know. I mean, this is the unfortunate thing about the final series this year. It's going to be, there's going to be games like this. And I will say that we've seen teams, quality teams play in conditions like this and the games haven't been so bad. Yes, it's not perfect. It's not uh, ideal conditions, skill level, perhaps not at its absolute peak for marking and those types of things. But the better the teams, the better the game's going to be to watch. This one was, uh, as I said, it was pretty ugly. It was. Um, there's so much talk at the moment going on about dewy conditions and yeah, the hopes that by the time we head to the grand final that that sort of condition is avoided in Queensland. But it hasn't been every night game that's been like this. Some nights have been completely fine. Right. Some nights, and it just seems to yeah, appear randomly when this sort of thing happens, which is obviously frustrating. Um, but I guess... Yeah, you can talk about the quality of the game, but both teams do have to play in those conditions. It's not that 
you know, one team plays in, you know, it's not like a, a cricket where one day it's you know, overcast and the next day it's sunny and you're batting on different days uh, and then you've got different conditions. Both teams have to adjust and that's sort of what this game is about. Like you both, you have to adjust and you have to do the best with what you're given, whether that's the team you've got on the park, whether that's the opponent, whether that's the umpires, whether that's the condition of the ground. You've got to adjust to that and it might not suit everyone's game style, but there's a lot of whinging going on already, a lot of... um pre-excuses being thrown out there, not not by teams necessarily, but a lot of complaints about it. But teams do have to adjust this. Now, you can talk about spectacle. But when we get into the finals anyway, scores tend to be lower. Pressure tends to be ramped up. Mistakes and They wouldn't finals. want to be too much lower. Fuck. Yeah, that's that, that's true. But <laughs> you're also not going to have North Melbourne playing in the finals too. So you're going to have teams that are better with higher skill levels. But pressure always ramps up in the finals. I don't think we ever complain, oh, look how much this pressure is yeah, and the fumbling and the, the skill and decision-making you know, dropping off because of the extra pressure. None of that's going to add an extra layer onto it this year. But I'm reserving judgment that it's not going to be a complete disaster because I'm just, I'm just not thinking that's going to be the case because we have had games with, that have been low-scoring in finals before and they can be really, really intriguing because we know what's on the line. It's not about... Oh, how beautifully did you uh, spot a bloke up from 50 out? It's about, look, what's on the line here? We lose this and the season's done. And that's where that pressure comes from. And that's where a lot of the game intensity and uh, viewing enjoyment comes from as well. Yeah, the question mark will come, particularly for the grand final, 7.30, uh, bouncing that one. If it is a, a nice 20, 22-degree day in Brisbane and then the, the bounce is at 7.30, then the Well, it's only going to be 6.30 up there. So that's that's a little bit better. Oh, 6... Sorry there, uh, mates. But uh, 6.30... Uh, same thing, you know. If you have a twenty twenty degree day during the day, and then it's, it turns into a dewy uh, mess at night, that's when people will say, "Well, you know, you really were, were chasing those ratings, and it didn't work out." Um, so I think that's perhaps what people are talking about there. Um, and, and you know, we'll wait and see what happens. As far as North Melbourne goes, was there anyone that stood out to you because their season's done? First team to have their season officially finished, uh, potentially could still finish in the bottom of the ladder. As I said, if Adelaide upset uh, Richmond in that game, but uh, again, I, I thought it was the same guys. I mean, we mentioned some of their young players, but uh, Davies Uniac is obviously a, a talented young guy. If he can stay healthy, he's one that they can lock in long-term. Trent Dumont, again, was pretty good uh, in this one. And, and I think Simpkin is, is the other guy that they're, they're going to lock in to their midfield. And what about Flynn Perez? 15 disposals. I don't think there's been too many Perez uh, in the AFL. I wanted to look that up. I might look that up while you're talking and see, but uh, I'm not sure if there's been another Perez in the AFL. I'm going to guess there hasn't been, but it was good to see these younger North Melbourne players step out. Now, Simpkins been good most of the season, but yeah, this this wasn't led by Higgins and Goldstein necessarily. It's having you having these other uh, yeah, guys like Simpkin. Yeah, McDonald had almost 30 touches. Yeah, it's a Davis Uniac with a lot of touches. Dumont played well. Um, yeah, Perez with with some good numbers there as well. So it was good to see those other guys. You're not relying upon yeah, Jack Siebel, who only who only had eight, eight touches in this one. And yeah, we talked about uh, Nick Larky before the game. He only had the one goal, but I thought he still was okay. Yeah, took some grabs out there, which is that's that's an encouraging sign for North because that's what they need. They need these younger players to be able to to be able to step up, and that was Perez's uh, just his third game. He was the 35th pick in last year's draft. So getting these young guys in and and seeing what they can do against a, a quality opponent and, and really stepping up is a huge encouragement for this team in the offseason. And they've got massive de- decisions to make. We talked about that yesterday. I think they've got 15 players coming out of contract at the end of this season now. Some free agents, some not. So lots of changes can actually happen with this team. Yeah, they'll have to. Uh, I was just watching that game, and I don't know who they're going to bring in. It does look like uh, Aiden Core is a player that wants to head to North Melbourne. There's been some talk about Zach Williams. I think we've discussed North Melbourne a, a fair bit, and uh, we'll see what happens with them. But, yeah, disaster disaster of a season. 
And when you win round one, you don't expect that you're going to find yourself uh, in this position. I know that was a long time ago. But as far as the Eagles go, Josh Kennedy went down with an ankle injury. And I, I reckon you could see the camera go to Adam Simpson. And he was just like, are you kidding me? Is this, is this another key player going down? Kennedy looked pretty happy after the game. He was walking around. He didn't have any ice on it or a boot or crutches or anything like that. So I think you know, Kennedy with the week off will most likely be fine. But Simpson did point to the fact that they might get as many as six players back uh, for that first final. So uh, it is worth remembering how much quality they have out of that team. Yeah, so it looks like they could have McGovern, Yo, Shuey, um, Jetta. Uh, Redden all all returning. Um, maybe as Cripps and Hutchings in there as well. Unlikely Cripps is back, but that's still a possibility. But there is a bunch of guys who could who could come back. Um, yeah, Sheed returned in this game too. So while it's not ideal in terms of losing Kennedy, they could get a whole bunch of other guys come back. He said the yeah, McGovern is probably less likely to play, but there's going to be you know, a whole bunch of players coming in. So whoever does end up in that eighth spot, most likely. Um, we'll probably have a, a pretty tough run of things if all these players come back and are ready to go for that game over at Optus Stadium, if that is, in fact, how the uh, how the top five or you know, the Eagles' position on the ladder shakes out, assuming the Geelong and Richmond results go as expected. The other news, I guess, is uh, the retirement of Justin Westhoff uh, from, uh, from Port Adelaide. So he's been, uh, I think he's about 34 at this point. He's obviously been around for a, a long time and been a, a really, really strong player uh, in different positions for this team and best of luck to him in his retirement. I think there's a chance he could still play this year as well. Uh, I think the the question mark for Port Adelaide that we spoke about during the week is uh, outside of Dixon, do they have a second tall uh, target? So Todd Marshall obviously has been a the guy they've played. Uh, Georgiati is another one. So I think you know maybe two of those guys plays. And I just wonder if we get to finals and uh, not only do they want to give him a bit of a send-off, he's been a guy, 280 games so far. I mean, it's a hell of a career. Uh, do they want to give him a send-off in the finals? Uh, does he deserve that spot as well? They're not just going to give him, uh, hand him a game, but maybe the experience in the finals is something they're looking for. And uh, by the way, shout out to Westhoff. He now leaves Travis Boak as the only active player from that 2007 grand final team for Port Adelaide. A great squad that was. Yes, uh, really, really strong uh, portion of Port Adelaide's history, and Westhoff, yeah, been a great contributor to the game over all of these years that he has uh, that he has participated in it. Kane, what do you think? We, we, we've talked about the top four, four, five teams a lot. Now we know who they are: it's Brisbane, it's Port, Geelong, Richmond, and West Coast. They're the top five teams. But which team do we think, or do you think, in particular here? has the best shot of making a run from outside the top five. We've seen a few teams make those runs from down the bottom of the ladder before and go all the way to grand finals and premierships. So who do you think out of that, those, let's be honest, probably four teams in that group there, maybe discounting GWS, let's throw them in anyway. Out of those five teams, who's got the best chance of making a run? I think Collywood. Now, it's going to be difficult. They're going to have to beat Port Adelaide on Monday to avoid that trip to Perth. Because I think, you know, that's enough to derail anyone. I've said this before, but I think you desperately want to avoid that eighth position, particularly if it is West Coast. You just don't want to have to go to Perth. Uh, it's going to put a bit of a spanner in the works in your in your finals. And, and also West Coast, we just know that they are a really good team. But I like the Pies, particularly because they have got the players back. Uh, Dugowie last week, we saw what he can bring, four goals, and also uh, that goal assist that he had. He's essentially going to have to play as the Tom Hawkins of Collingwood. And uh, I will admit, this is a shameless plug because I wrote about Collingwood today uh, for a story for ESPN that's coming out. And there's a bunch of numbers regarding why their ball movement has worked against them this year. We've spoke about their targets up forward. 
They need a play to go as basically their full forward now, and they need to create space for him. The only way they do that, similar to Geelong, if you can go through the go through the corridor and attack a little bit more. Cunningham would have been too defensive. I think part of that is the the players that they have and the team. They don't have elite ball users out of the back 50, and I think that that hurts them. So that's where, again, a guy that uh, listens to the podcast will know I really like. Isaac Quainall comes into it, 81% kicking efficiency, they need to use him as their ball user out of the back 50, despite the fact he's only played 12 games. He could be a real X factor for them. But Collingwood lead the AFL four disposals per game and uncontested disposals per game. Uh, Geelong ranks second uh, four disposals and third for uncontested possessions. So they play a really similar style. They want to control the footy. But despite that, Geelong have kicked uh, average 15 points uh, per game more, so two and a half goals per game more and 244 points total on the season. So Collingwood... I think that they can be a really dangerous team. They're starting to get some quality back. They're just going to play a little bit more aggressive. Open the space up, give Tagoe room to move, get him those one-on-ones, and I think that they can they can almost beat anyone at their best. And I think that that's why they're a scary team. I think that's probably the, the main thing you say there is that they can beat anyone at their best. Now, getting at their best is yeah. is tough. And that's not hasn't always happened, and some of that's been injury related. But if they do, you know, it's it's only four weeks that you've got to throw it together for. And if they can do that, they've got that ability to knock off those other teams. Collingwood probably would have been my pick. Like I could consider, you know, my team because I watch them a lot, and I know that when the Bulldogs throw it together, like their style of play is almost unstoppable. The problem is it happens for like a quarter and a half, or it happens <laughs> for a half, and then it disappears. But when it's on, like it's like shit. Who's who's stopping this? Um, and that, you know, the fact that they've beaten just the one team above them all season, and you know, they pushed, um, yeah, Brisbane and Port a little bit. They pushed along, so they had some competitive games there, but still only got the victory over one of those teams. Probably puts them out of it to me. St Kilda, um, again, but if the Bulldogs turn on for three quarters at their high level, then they can they can run it. St Kilda is the one to me that I want to look at. Now they have dropped off a little bit, but they have wins in the bag over Richmond. A comfortable win early in the season. They beat Port Adelaide in Adelaide with a comfortable win there as well. Now, we've talked about that loss they had against Geelong where Geelong just said, well, you're not getting goals out the back and they didn't know what the hell to do with that. And that started a pretty rough run of things where they've lost four out of their last six, including that game with wins just over Essendon and over Hawthorne. So that that's not great. And this was a team that was sitting in the top four early in the season. Now there's a potential that they, they miss the finals altogether. But if they can get back to some of that early season form, the way they played against Port Adelaide, the way they played yeah, against Richmond in those games, then there is some um, there is some hope for them. But there's been ways to figure them out. And they haven't really worked out how to figure out other teams figure, figuring them out at this point. No, I agree with that. I'm just pulling up the shot chart for the Saints because I remember at the start of the season, we spoke about them and their ability to uh, get shots within 30 metres or within 25 metres even. And I know we go off the shot chart on statsinsider.com.au and this is where they were tearing teams apart. And the question mark was always going to be, what do you do when teams say, okay, we understand what you're trying to do, St. Kilda. We know Dan Butler's been on an absolute tear. We're not going to let him get out of the back and kick goals in the goal square three goals a week. We're not going to let him do that anymore. Dan Butler has cooled off completely, and a big reason for that is because those opportunities have been shot down. Uh, so just uh, I've got it up here. So in the first nine weeks, uh, the shot chart for the Saints is pretty much all corridor, and it's all within 30 metres of goal. That's where all their shots were coming for. If you look at, look at it from round 10 through to round 17, where the Saints have had some struggles... It's all over the shot. Their shots are coming from all around the 50. Uh, they're still getting some out the back, but the, there's no 
Uh, there's more shots in the pockets, which weren't areas of the 50 that they were kicking their scores from in the first nine weeks. So the question for the Saints is, and this one, this is what it comes down to when you a big part of your forward structure is relying on a guy like King, who's so young, so inexperienced. It can your performance can be a little inconsistent. So the question for the Saints is, are they going to be able to generate enough score in the next uh, six, in the next few weeks and through finals to uh, to to win to win finals? And I, I think. You know, that's the big question mark for me. They play attack in footy. There's no doubt about that. But if teams commit to getting numbers behind the ball, uh, they seem to be stifled too easily. Yeah, and you're talking about that shot chart. You go and have a look at it. And just it, if you unclick set shots from it and have a look at general play, you can have a look over the course of the season. There's this massive, massive red splotch all through the goal square and yeah, 15 to 20 meters out, like almost directly in front where all their goals came from. You change the timeline to round 11 and there's no red there at all. And that's when the, the tr- this trouble started. They haven't got, I don't think, any goals from inside the goal square in these last six weeks. And yeah, they're kicking from general play. They just haven't been able to, to get those opportunities that they had early on. It is a wild difference between what it's looked like all season versus what it's looked like over the last six weeks. And that is yeah, the worry. You've got to have multiple avenues to goal, and they haven't been able to provide that. So that's why, yeah, outside of Collingwood, out of those other teams, I'm a little bit iffy because there's question marks over all of them in terms of you know, Melbourne. We know their, their you know, ball use and turnover. And inconsistency is a problem. GWS, who the hell knows what they're doing? Uh, the Bulldogs, in-game consistencies has been a problem. And St Kilda, that's it's they're really falling off at the moment. So it does make it tough for them. Who would you have as a, as a second option? Because I have Collingwood one, and then St Kilda two. But I'm not I'm not confident with St Kilda. How would you look at that? I feel like now you're just going to keep asking me to run through my second and third and fourth options until we talk about the Bulldogs. <laughs> is, that, is that is that what's going on right now? I just I, I just I want think... to see if you view it the same as me. No, I think the Bulldogs. Yeah, probably. Um, I, I, I will say this, the the talk about the Bulldogs from 2016, it, it almost annoys me more than uh, Mason Cox because... Yeah, it's, it, it's, not, it's not the same. It's not even... It, the, the it's team not even the, is same not the same team. Yeah, it's not, not even close. So I, I, I don't know why they keep comparing that. They're like, well, the Bulldogs have done it before. And it's like, okay, cool. It was, it's a completely different team, so stop bringing it up. But... Again, you know, I mean, as you sort of pointed to, they've been inconsistent, but it's hard not to look at the first quarter against the Cats a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's been a number of performances like that and say, yeah, this is a team that even in half, even in it's two and a half quarters, as you sort of pointed to, they can put a score, enough score on the board to win a final and to beat a team. And again, if they can avoid uh, finishing eighth, then I would back them in. I'd back them in to beat the, the Saints if they can get that final with them. So uh, they'll feel comfortable. I just think that the big thing is just avoid going to Optus Stadium in front of that crowd. If you can do that, uh, then uh, you'll put, you put yourself in a good spot. So potentially, maybe these teams will be hoping uh, again for uh, Sydney to win. So maybe they're also going for Sydney. So West Coast will get in the top four and get away from them in that first one. I think Collingwood would be massively into Sydney because the other the the other teams, the Saints and the Bulldogs have easier runs at it than Collingwood. But who, but who knows what's going to go on? But you, you talk about the Bulldogs. Like they put you know seven in, in a quarter against Melbourne, six against Hawthorne, six against Geelong, and then you drop off after that. But that's like your high octane footy in one quarter, and that just needs to be extended over the course of uh, of a whole game. But we do have games coming up. This is the last week of the uh, the home and away season, Kane. We're going to have uh, all of the positions set very soon. We've got a, a cracker tonight. Are you uh, going to be watching that one pretty intently? Oh, I will be because, again, I mean, the Giants, uh, I really just want to see... I want to see what they've got in them because I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether they respond to getting their captain back, Cornelio, back in the team. Uh, Jake Riccardi also back in, and, and it's interesting that Harry Himmelberg 
the, the Giants have just dropped some big names this year, haven't they? Yeah. It's unbelievable to look at their uh, team from week to week and some of the players that get omitted from this squad, just guys that in years gone by, certainly last year, just absolute locks. Himmelberg, he's been a key player for them. He's been a vital player for them. And now, uh, obviously, Riccardi comes back in, so they they drop him. He hasn't been in great form this year. He hasn't been dangerous. He hasn't been taking those contested marks, Himmelberg. But, yeah, I want to see what the Giants have got. Lucky Whitfield, game 150. You get the skipper back. They were okay last week, GWS, but still really, really messy. I, I would love to see them come out here in the first half and put goals on the board, get Jeremy Cameron involved, Cornelio get plenty of the footy and show a bit. And it's going to be really tough for them to make the finals. They're probably going to have to win by a significant amount here and then hope for some results as well. But uh, I don't know. I mean, because it could go either way. It could go either way with them. Their best avenue to getting in is winning this one and then having Melbourne and the Bulldogs lose and then they do make it. Um, or they smash St. Kilda by a huge amount and then just yeah. one of those one of those teams uh, loses the Bulldogs or the Giants. But they need to catch you know, over 3%, which I guess is possible. If the Bulldogs lost by 40 points and GWS wins by 30, then, then they overtake them. And yeah, they'd be still got to hope Melbourne to lose and then you've got a six percentage point difference there, which makes that a little bit harder to, to get into the mix. So it is tough, but... I have, we have no confidence in what they're going to do week to week. St. Kilda's on the downswing, but these you would hope the GWS comes out pretty pretty fired up. But I'm I'm not convinced with some of the um, some of the things that seem to be going on with that team and the the level of talent they've got that's not being converted into actual good footy or, or to wins makes me think that it's not ju- it's not a talent issue. There's obviously a motivation, coaching, uh, personality, whichever one it is, it's one of those things that isn't talent related. So that gives me less faith that they're going to be able to not only get the job done, but get it done at, at a massive level, which is what they need to do to push into finals. I would imagine that you're going to be taking a, a close look at that one, but uh, what other game have you got your eyes on this weekend? Well, there's the three games that really are going to decide what happens here at the end of the, the finals. One's Essendon-Melbourne, and I think we're relatively confident that Melbourne is going to be able to handle Essendon, and saying that about Melbourne is not something that you know, you'd know you say all that lightly, considering how they've played, but, but Essendon is uh, in a real, real problem at the moment. So it is the Bulldogs and the Dockers. The Bulldogs need to win this to make the finals. The Dockers can't make the finals, but they've been playing really, really well. And it's up in Cairns here, and Fremantle played up there last week, I believe. A little bit of extra experience in those conditions. You talk about you know, maybe dewy conditions. That might be the case up there again for, for Sunday night's game. But this is a, a key one here to look at uh, with the Bulldogs having the biggest challenge out of the teams looking for that uh, that final spot. Well, yeah got the larger challenge it probably is the Bulldogs so this game should be a fairly high high intensity game uh, hopefully closely fought for the neutral supporters not for me um, and hopefully that um, the Bulldogs can get that win but I think this is going to be an absolute cracker to round out Sunday's uh, afternoon of footy we spoke about Caleb Sarong a little bit he got the job on Paddy Dangerfield earlier in the season uh, you think you, you see him going to Bontempalli I'm not really sure because he sort of moved into more of an attacking role like he had that that tagging role there against Dangerfield. But then basically since that game, he's moved into more of a, I'm going to just go and get the ball myself type of a midfielder. They could do that with Bontempalli. Um, 
yeah, often to try and limit what Bontempelli does, you have to almost take yourself completely out of the game. We've seen that with guys like DeBoer did that for GWS. I think um, it was McDonald who did that in the North game and sort of took Bontempelli out of it. It didn't really matter because the other players stepped up in that situation. But do they want to sacrifice what Sarong's actually doing to drive their game forward to you know, take out Bontempelli when then you've got other guys, you've got Smith, you've got McRae, you've got Hunter, you've got those other guys who are probably just going to step up and take take over from Bontempelli. And if he gets 15 kicks and those other guys get 30, it doesn't really matter in the end. I reckon they might just try and give that that development into Sarong as a yeah a yeah a level midfielder on this team and yeah, develop him further that way. So they've been one of the better defensive teams in the league this season, and I think it surprised a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, fans and, and teams at how well and how consistently they have defended Justin Longmuir. Obviously, uh, came across from Collingwood. We know that he's got the defensive structures set up well. So. Based on what we've seen with games against Fremantle this year, it's going to be low scoring. The Dogs, I think, like to get a free wheel in a little bit, create some space in the forward 50 by using those handballs, using those link-up chains uh, out of stoppages, out of congestion. Uh, what's the key to scoring here? Who are the guys you're looking at? I know, obviously, Mitch Wallace has been such a, a vital player for you guys. Aaron Norton has sort of, he's been up and down. He's been up and down since coming back into the team. But how are you going to kick a score? Yeah, look, that, that's the the concern, I guess, is Norton has really struggled to have a massive impact in games where Josh Bruce is playing. It's like he just hasn't quite figured out how to get that um, that space that that he needs or to be that focal point. Uh, Mitch Wallace, you mentioned him, it's his 150th uh, game this week after you know, multiple injuries have had an impact on his career. So that's a, it's great to see him get to, to the 150. Um, I, I think as it is in most Bulldogs games, it's just going to be an array of guys. It's not necessarily going to be one player who has to kick a bag. It's going to be, you know, maybe Norton chips in with two. You'll get midfielders. Yeah, Bailey Smith will come down. You have, um, yeah, other half forward types who who get into the mix there and, and just have those opportunities and, and kick goals. Like Ed Richards pops down sometimes. There's a whole bunch of guys. I don't think there's the one player there who is, is that number one. It's obviously Norton is the number one Tiger, but they, they can win. As you said, he's been quiet that they can win without him having big impacts in the game. As long as he's sort of drawing that attention, which he's still doing and taking the occasional big grab, uh, it's opening things up for a lot of other players. And a lot of the Bulldogs goals are, are coming from that sort of uh, chaos type entry or that you know um, ground ball where they're you know, consistently just finding the right opportunity through handballs then to, to either spot the kick up or, or get a free shot at goal. They've been good, the Dockers. It's, uh, uh, it it might, be a, might be a long weekend for you, I reckon. Well, it's uh, annoyingly, it's going to be Sunday night, this game, so then I have to you yeah. know, front up the next morning to, uh, to talk about it. Yeah. Um, it would love for it to be over and done with Friday night because then if if uh, the dogs do happen to lose, I can um, I can feel a little bit better by the time we get to Monday. But if the Bulldogs lose, it's not the end of their finals campaign because things can go, uh, yeah. much like we're talking about, you know, GWS has a chance if multiple things go their way. The Bulldogs, if they lose this one and then Melbourne lose and St. Kilda beat GWS, they're still in. So it, it's not completely over. It's not ideal, but they'll know their fate before they uh, before they take the field. On Sunday night, I am super interested to see how this all plays out for the top eight. Really even spread throughout the season for, for most of these teams. You you give the favor to the teams in the top four, but it, it's not crazy to think that other teams can have some upsets because we've seen crazy results happen all season and inconsistency has been a problem for majority of teams throughout the year in unique circumstances, different weather, um, and it's thrown up some weird results. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. No, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's kind of hard to believe. When I was watching that game last night in North Melbourne and sort of um, there was some vision of, of Ray Shaw just like talking to the 
to the boys after the game and it's like oh yeah it's like yeah i guess i guess we're nearly at the end of september here it makes sense that the season would be over it kind of feels like it's flown by after uh, such a long break at the start but yeah yeah ready for finals we're here and, and in the end the season's going to end what three weeks after it normally would have so it's not really they've, they've uh, squished that in with these uh, you know, festivals of footy to make it so it's not having going to have a, too much of an impact on say cricket season or impacting next season they've done a great job to get it done as quickly as they did with a what two and a half month uh, layoff in the middle of the year so it's been a fantastic level of work from everybody in the AFL amongst teams players officials uh, to get this uh, season done as we, we haven't quite got there yet but we're almost there and it's been a it's been a great effort to get there no doubt, no doubt, and uh, hopefully, um, well, I don't know, it might be better for the listeners if you're um, furious or upset on Monday, but uh, I look forward to seeing uh, how you feel. I'm looking forward to seeing the results, and hopefully they do go my way. Guys, uh, don't forget to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and if you could leave us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, that would be fantastic. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Gary Pert. <laughs>